Welcome to Lamestream here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall, and you can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. My name is Steve Cavendish. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Scavendish. If you like this show, you can read it, you can review it, you can subscribe to it. Mostly, we would just want you to tell people that you listen to Lamestream Sports. They should, too. And anybody running a marathon should just have uh, just have their earbuds in listening to old episodes of Lamestream just on repeat. It's a great way to keep your mind engaged while the rest of your body is going numb. Yes, run uh, 26.2 miles while listening to us talk about smash burgers and beers from Jasper's. Uh, I'm sure that'll go over well. Um, embarrassingly young Mr. Will Bowling is our guest on the show. And no, not embarrassing for him, embarrassing for all of us. He is, of course, the morning show host on 104.5 with Kayla Anderson and Ramon Foster. But he also calls games for Nashville SC with the new 104.5 contract with Lucas Panzica. So, so he's done a, a ton of stuff. He ran track at Tennessee. So we're going to have a really interesting conversation with him about calling soccer matches and doing sports talk radio. Let's let's get this right off the bat. First of all, screw Will Bowling. Yeah, okay? yeah, screw you, Will Bowling. Thanks for coming on the show, you <laughs> jerk. Uh, <laughs> uh, all right, so uh, we're gonna have a fun conversation with him. And um, I, I got into a Twitter debate with a few people in in the Nashville media about Jared Stillman, and we're gonna discuss that conversation after our talk with Will Bowling because Will Bowling actually addresses some of the things that came up in that debate when it comes to doing radio shows in nashville we talked a lot about nashville sc however um but we are going to touch on the titans news with the stadium here for a few minutes before our conversation with will uh if you would like to keep on keep up you know follow along on the internet go to nashvillebanner.com sign up for good journalism and they will send you information right to your email box written by one mr steve cavendish and my latest one was about the like 1 15 a.m vote to advance the Titans Stadium $2.1 billion proposal. I got lots of great information right in my email box, Steve. The vote was actually at about 12.45. So, I mean, come okay, on. Okay, fine. Come on. So, so, sorry. <laughs> sorry. But, of course, before we do all of that, please, everybody, please go to Jaspers. Go to Jaspers. That's it. Just go to Jaspers. And we'll tell you what's coming up on the sports menu a little bit later on in the show. All right. Titans Stadium news. Basically, the, the first vote passes fairly easily. The first reading, I should say, I guess, right? Is it the way to say it? The second reading took place and, and some amendments got thrown in there. It passed like 1918, so it got deferred, essentially delayed. And at the first one, of course, there were a lot of anti-stadium people allowed into the building. The Titans did not let that happen <laughs> this, on Tuesday night where when the entire uh, the hearing was filled with Titans supporters. They got there way earlier than all the other all the other groups. Uh, and they were stuck out in the hallway. But of course, they go back and forth. It gets through a bunch of amendments were put on the put up for vote. And they sort of compromise, essentially, Steve. So tell everybody what took place in the second reading. There'll be a third reading that will be public for everybody. And that will be the final uh, vote on the bill. It's going to pass one way or the other. And what was the explain the compromise that took place on Tuesday evening this week? So the compromise was at, at this meeting that was deferred. Uh, last time, it was a pretty chaotic sort of meeting. There were a lot of stadium opponents in there. Um, there was a there was a lot of a lot of yelling and and kind of lobbying going on from the galleries. And a, a, an amendment by brand by council member uh, Brandon Taylor got on that would have put a ten percent surcharge essentially on tickets. And 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 they had to. It was constructed in a way that. Because they couldn't make it as like a ticket tax because there's already a ticket tax on there. 
it ends up essentially being a function of rent and that the that the titans are responsible for and so the the mechanics of it got really con- got, kind of got controversial because it, this would have been a surcharge on every non NFL uh, event and so th- there was a compromise which it was came on in this last meeting that council member Jennifer Gamble put on that ended up making it the higher of uh, $3 or 3% for ev- on every ticket. Uh, again, as a, they did this as a function of rent to the, to the Titans and, and the Titans so, are going to so pass a, this straight on to consumers. So a fee, not a tax essentially. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And so that gets, that gets put on, there was a lot of debate over whether, over where the money should go. There's a, there's a Nashville cares fund, uh, that, that would, would have sent stuff to nonprofits. Freddie O'Connell put an amendment on, which diverted that money back to the general fund. So the so the question becomes uh, of this money. The Taylor folks had said, you know, this is this is like an extra four hundred million dollars that would have come back to Nashville over the life of the the deal. The Gamble amendment says estimated to be about one hundred and twenty million dollars back to Nashville over the life of the deal. A lot of hard feelings. Which among, is thirty, which is thirty years, right? Which is thirty years. It, it, the gamble amendment will basically bring about another four million dollars back to the general fund. A lot of hard feelings among council members, kind of back and forth over this. There's, there's, there's definitely. I mean, there's probably like eighteen to twenty kind of hardcore for the for the deal. There's probably another five to seven that are for the deal, but it's kind of softer support. And then there's probably like another 12 or so that are hardcore against the, against the stadium. And so there there was a question uh, because the Titans had came, had come back and said that the Taylor deal, uh, the Taylor amendment was a deal killer uh, for them. (laughs) So just want to make sure everyone be clear on this $2.1 billion over 30 years. And the deal killer on this would be the difference between 400 million and 120 million. So we're talking about the difference between what eight million dollars versus four million dollars a year going back to the city. Ten million and four million, yeah. Ten million and four million, yeah. Ten million four million. Basically, uh, we're talking about rounding errors on a 2.1 billion dollar deal. Just to be clear. I mean, those, I mean, those numbers are not rounding errors, but, but, okay. but yes, I mean, so, and the Titans had said, said, look, the, the Taylor amendment is, is a deal killer and which is why they ended up negotiating and the administration ended up negotiating over and the gamble amendment ended up being the compromise. It'll be really interesting to kind of see how this goes forward. At the end of the meeting, there was a push to have to hold a public hearing with third reading. and so. The, the meeting that's going to come next week is going to be they've set aside four hours for public comment, two hours pro two hour, uh, two hours against people will sign up for it kind of kind of once they get there. If you sign up for it, I think I think you'll get you're going to get like a two minute increment. So what is that? You know, what does that break down to? It breaks down to probably like 60 people on each side giving two minute speeches. I cannot imagine that the Titans folks are going to put 60 people up there to talk about the stadium. Since they've got the votes, uh, my my guess is that they're going to put five to ten people up there and you know seed the balance of their time. Uh, so you have like kind of two hours hardcore against the against the stadium. It is unamendable on third reading, and so so, so we've got the deal we've got now. 
So, so this is this is the deal. Yeah. You're either going to vote it up or you're going to vote it down. So um, I, to put this in like very simple talking points, and I'm going to quote a former president of the United States. Don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. We can all debate whether or not this is as, as perfect a deal as possible for the city of Nashville and for Davidson Te- County taxpayers. It's not. But it's it is the, the, this this fight in this amendment. Basically, what was prior to the, the amendments was zero dollars coming back to the general fund in this area of, of, of fees. It was pushed up to 10 million per year, roughly on estimate or eight million per year, roughly on estimate down to four million. So it went from zero to four through this entire nasty process. So it's essentially there's a little bit of extra money going back to the city to take care of other things through this entire process. It could have been a little bit more, but it's better than zero. <laughs> so I feel like that's the simplest way to to put this through. That's that's not, that's not an unfair way to, to look at it. Uh, there's a couple of different lenses, I think, that council members are coming to this through. Opponents, Bob Mendez had put forth, I think, like 13 amendments. Opponents have said... Look, the, the 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 state may come for this. The the state last week altered the makeup of the sports authority to make it it's a thirteen member board. Uh, the state took six of those seats for themselves. Uh, the argument was, you know, we're putting up five hundred million dollars for this sta- for the stadium. We should get a chunk of the we should get a chunk of those seats. Not an, um, not an, not three, an, three or four, three or four would have been fine. I'm not, not sure an, about six. I don't think that's an unreasonable position. Half of the half of the board, with the potential to take it over at some other point, is probably a, a bit unreasonable. The other piece of that is there are other bits of state control that the city and state have been have been fighting over here for the entire session. There was a there was a very high profile attempt to cut the size of the council in half that that was shot down at least for this election cycle in court uh, here last week. The state's trying to take over the airport authority, uh, which may get wrapped up in some FAA problems. The, the state is also whacking community oversight boards, which was something that Metro voters passed overwhelmingly here a couple of years ago. There's this the lens of the state versus the city right now is impossible to ignore, yep. and stadium critics have have used that as a reason to as a reason to uh, to to not do this deal. And and you're going to hear that again um, when the racetrack uh, proposal comes forward, because the the racetrack the people who the people who want to do the racetrack deal went to the state and got a clarification language. Uh, that says that basically they only need 21 votes in the council, not 27, uh, per kind of overriding a previous chart metro charter amendment, which had to do with kind of what you could demolish at the fairgrounds. And that goes back to a fight from 10 years ago. These fights between the city and the state are going to loom much larger than they ever have, uh, and particularly in big deals like this. And I think you're going to hear a lot of that next week. You know, you're going to hear you're going to hear from some people. Look, we should be putting this money into schools and sidewalks and whatever else, not into stadiums. And and I and I perfectly understand that position. But that money, the money that is in this deal is not available to that. This this is this is money that the, the tax money that is diverted to pay for the revenue bonds in this is not available for uh, for those uses. And and you can you can. Blame the state of Tennessee for that because that's the yep. I mean, that's the way that that's the way the the tax diversion was set up. 
Basically, what I'm hearing from you, Steve, is things are going swimmingly at the state capitol these days. I mean, <laughs> so much fun. I love I love seeing my state plastered all over all of my favorite national products that I consume, all my national content. I, I think we were on. Uh, Great. I think, I think we Great. made S, I think we made SNL's we, weekend we, update like four weeks straight. We have been on John Oliver, you know, all the we've been on all the national Saturday Night Live, all my favorite podcasts. We keep we keep making headlines, man. Um, just things going swimmingly. So all of that to say this, the 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 final vote on the stadium is next is next week. We're recording this here on Thursday. Uh, that that vote will come next Tuesday. I mean, you can watch it online. You can go down to the public hearing if you want to. It's going to be a big rowdy, oh yeah, um, raucous yeah. sort of affair. But I, I think that we have seen how the sides have have kind of sifted out through all of this. I would be stunned if. If the stadium is not passed next week, something yeah. something catastrophic would have to happen. I think before that, and and and, and I can and, and I can hear stadium uh, certain stadium proponents kind of going, "Don't say that out loud," but it's but it's true. I mean, it's gonna it's gonna pass. It's gonna yeah. Pass. It, they 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 have too they have too many votes. And 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 all of the the debate has now taken place after the Tuesday night meeting uh, and the voting and the amendments and the arguing. Trust me, I'm all for activism. No matter what side you're on, go down there and have your voice be heard. I think that's an important part of the process. But let's be honest, the bill is already set or the the, the deal is already set uh, and it is going to be voted on. And I'm pretty sure everybody knows exactly where they're standing on how they vote. I'm not sure anybody. This sounds very cynical. I'm not sure anything you say on that at that meeting on that floor will affect anybody's chain, uh, uh, mind on how they vote. So um, it's going to pass. And then we just get to See how it all plays out over the next 30 years. Hooray. Um, okay. All right. With that in mind, that was some heady stuff there, Steve. I do appreciate if, it. If you want to if you want to read about it, you can find links on Twitter. Uh, sign up at NashvilleBanner.com for emails. We we have tried not to do too much breaking news at the banner, but uh, particularly over the over the last few weeks here, there's just been so much of it. And we're not, you know, we're not really we're not fully staffed for breaking news yet. Um, but I, I did think that this was an important kind of point in the in the in the debate to kind of to kind of write about it and there's a there's a pretty kind of in-depth look at kind of like how that meeting went down and where like who all the players were at it uh from tuesday night there you have it with all of that said again conversation about jared stillman coming up after this conversation with will bowling we talked about soccer we talked about broadcasting soccer we talked about doing a morning show we talked about his his uh, kind of coming up through the ranks of broadcasting. We talked about running track at Tennessee, uh, cross country, I should say, um, as an athlete. And just he's done a whole lot of stuff. And again, uh, embarrassingly successful, not for him, but for us. We'll talk a little radio after this conversation. But here was our talk with uh, young Mr. Will Bowling. Will, welcome to the show, man. How are you, sir? I'm great. Uh, good to be with you guys. Uh, thankful to uh, have the opportunity to come on here. I've, I've listened to Wes uh, on here. I've listened to uh, many of your interviews. A, a big fan of the show. Uh, a first-time interview guest, long-time listener. So, uh, yeah, thankful to be here, man. Thanks for joining us. We do appreciate it. We'll talk to you next week. All right? <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> um, no, so first question, more most important couple questions here right out of the gate. And this is how, you know, we don't, we don't, uh, we don't spend 15 minutes buttering you up, Will. We're going to go right to the hardest stuff. And I would like you to tell everybody what the phone call was like to tell your brother that you were taking his job. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was uh, 
It was difficult and one that honestly, I'm I'm going to be honest that I'm going to probably start with a kind of a sentimental moment is that one that Wes handled better than I would have if it was, you know, the opposite <laughs> because Wes is Wes is great. I mean, it, like Wes is Wes is the guy that when he was 15 and I was three, we were doing play by play together, muting the TV, watching college football like it. So for him, this was more of like a look like I I helped prepare you for a job like this. And yeah, it sucks that, you know, yeah, like you're kind of replacing me. But at the same time, like th this is what I've helped prepare you for for as long as you've wanted to be a broadcaster, which is as long as I could form like words into sentences. So, um, no, it was I mean, it, it, it's it been, you know, it was bittersweet to kind of get this opportunity and get a dream role with a team I love in, in Nashville SC. But um, that was definitely the bitter part of it was was having to replace a guy that I thought crushed it uh, every step of the way in West. So kind of an important kind of follow up to that is when Wes left that role, did he take all of the goals with him out of spite or did he or did he leave just like one or two back there in the cupboard? I mean, because you come on and all of a sudden all of the goals are gone. <laughs> no, it's 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 a fair question. And uh, <laughs> I'm I'm lucky because you know I, I split this job with Lucas Lucas Panzica who does a lot of these games too and I think so far uh, we've each done four games um, I think I've had one scoreless draw he's had one scoreless draw he had two of the three losses which were both one zero losses like I think Lucas has called two Nashville goals in his first four games um, so thankfully the games I have done like I had two one against NYCFC last weekend I had two zero against Montreal. I had the 2-0 win at Orlando, and then I had scoreless against the New York Red Bulls. So I have not been quite as affected as Lucas has early <laughs> with, with, with the uh, with the goals or lack thereof. I will say, though, that when Wes first started doing those games, I think like his first four games or something like that were all scoreless draws. <laughs> I'm sure he talks to you guys about this, too, yeah. you know, when it was happening, even. But like. I think his first game he did was a New England Revolution game that was nil-nil, and I think there may have been a Chicago Fire game that was scoreless in there, too. So it, it took a while for him to get them, and then they all came in, in bunches. So uh, I'm not sure how much team allocation money or general allocation money was given uh, for Wes, uh, but I, I just know that, yeah, we've got to get the offense going a little bit. Love a, love a good early GAM reference in an interview. <laughs> um, I, I think what's, I think Steve and I asked the wrong question, which is how, how did Wes uh, – you know, funnel all the goals to the brother and not to the other guy calling the games is what it sounds like happened. Um, let's go back to the the moment you just talked about, because Wes and I talked about it a lot, too. But take people through your love of broadcasting as a young person. And I don't mean like like an, a young adolescent going into college. I mean, like a baby. <laughs> take, take us back to when you knew you wanted this was going to be the career you wanted to do this. You cared about it. Uh, and then, of course, obviously the influence of the older brother. Yeah, so I, I probably go back to like age six or seven, legitimately, when this became something I was interested in. When uh, my brother was a senior at Brentwood Academy here in the, the class of 03, um, and I was at that point in in first grade. And I remember going to church, and in the children's sermon at church, the question was, what do you want to be when you grow up? Of course, classic you know, children question. And my answer was, I want to be a color commentator, and I want my brother to do play-by-play. And, and I want to do it with him. And this was literally age six or seven. Like I, I had no shot and people for uh, the entire year since then are like, you sure you want to do this? Like, is that, is that the smart choice you want to make? But um, 
no, legitimately, it was it was that early, and it was at the point where you know I think uh, you know there have been coaches in the NFL to talk about the fact that you can put yourself in the job of a coach through playing video games from an early age now in this new generation of coaches. That was said for me as a broadcaster, where I was legitimately playing Madden at age like nine, muting the game and then calling my own games, and then I would do the press conference as the interviewer and the coach, like afterwards, <laughs> as I'm doing practice mode, testing out different route concepts just for hours. You like were... I would literally sit and play practice mode, which is the sign of a psychopath and not even play games. I would just practice things in football and um, which is, I swear, is where half of mine and my generation's football knowledge comes from is just playing those video games. But um, no, it, it was at that point that, you know, I, I remember driving home from a Brentwood Academy football game that I did when I was a sophomore in high school. And uh, that was my second year calling high school football, first year doing a lot more on air stuff. And I was doing it with Wes um, and he was play by play and I was color. And it was kind of a dream fulfilled for the first time at, at the high school level. And, you know, Jalen Ramsey was on that team. Derek Barnett was on that team. Dawson Knox, you know, is a good friend, was on that team. And, um, you know, when you're doing high level high school football like that, it, it is high school football. It feels important. It feels like a big deal when you have four and five star prospects that are, that are out there. So we were driving home and, you know, talking to my dad and I was like, you know, I, I really like Spanish class. Like, you know, I want to do business. Like, I just kind of want to be practical, right? Like I want to do business degree with like a minor in Spanish, like international business. And my dad like looked at me and was like, you know, you love broadcasting. Like you've always wanted to do this. Like, why not just go for it? And I never really asked myself the question. It was just always kind of like the dream, right? Like I, I sang a lot, like I ran a lot as a kid, like there are a lot of dreams, but it was always just kind of like the dream of like what I would do in a perfect world. Um, and really kind of from that time, I, I started preparing a little bit differently for those games. I started looking at high school football as like, all right, this is the proving ground for whether or not I can do this. Um, and, and from there led to more opportunities in college. And and that quickly became uh, kind of the the realistic dream more so than just the daydreaming about what I would love to do as a, as an adult. What was the, uh, what was the first thing that you called that you were like, okay, I can do this. Like I, 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 like I nailed that. This is, this is realistic. This is not just me having fun with my brother. This is not just something that somebody gave me the opportunity to do that. I really like that, but that I can do this professionally. Yeah. I think the first one in college was doing um, Alcoa high school football by myself. Um, and that's, that's a big that's real football. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think they're up to eight state championships in a row now or seven. I mean, it's been since I was a senior doing their games in, um, in 2018 in college when, um, they won their first in this long run. Um, so it, that was really the first one kind of in, in high school. And then I was asked on a whim on, um, it was Halloween 2019, just months after I graduated, um, I got asked to do color for Tennessee soccer that was supposed to be on this whip around SEC network, like NFL red zone style, like soccer fans will know decision day. Um, this was decision day of the SEC women's soccer season. So it was the last game was supposed to be just on the app. And then maybe they would check in on us like a couple of times. Um, and then we were playing Arkansas, Tennessee was. So this actually was for the SEC championship for Arkansas. So we ended up being on the linear television channel on SEC network like, the entire time. Like they were cutting into other games as breaks, but 75% of our broadcast was on SEC network. And, you know, for me, that was the first time where I'm thinking to myself, like, all right, this is a television opportunity. I'm, you know, 22 years old as of a couple of months before that, like what just happened? Like, how did I just 
backed my way into this and I'm part-time at a radio station. And, you know, we just did color for a sport. I didn't even play on SEC network. It was like, are they sure? Like, is this, is this, am I the right person for this? And, <laughs> um, and from there it, it, it does take a lot of luck. It takes a lot of being in the right place at the right time. And, you know, I've been blessed and fortunate kind of since then to, to be able to grow my career at the zone and do more of things like that, where I'm just kind of shaking my head, like how in the world is this possible? Honestly, uh, I, we'll, we'll bring the morning show into this in just a second, but I I'm curious because you, 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 for those that don't know, of course you ran track. So you were a track and field athlete. That that's something you've done as a broadcaster. You did high school football, certainly growing up. And then obviously in college, you start calling soccer. Like you said, you're now doing soccer. Um, you can pretty much do any of it. Do, do you have a sense of where, like where your passion lies, where you think you're best and what's different about all of those different sort of styles of broadcasting in terms of the actual difference in sports? Yeah, I love the games with a little bit of a slower pace. Um, it's actually funny. I, I tell people all the time that I'm one of the few diehard soccer and baseball fans in the world. Um, but I actually feel like the tempo of calling soccer and baseball on the radio is actually pretty similar. Uh, because in baseball, it's conversational. It's like hosting a sports talk radio show when you're calling a baseball game. You just throw in, and there's the two on outside, you know, every five seconds or so. Um, soccer, I feel like, is actually called a lot of the same way. You know, when you're in the box, when you're in the 18, and you feel like you've got an opportunity to to score, obviously the tempo picks up and the cadence changes a little bit, but you want the audience to feel at ease and feel calm and relaxed, you know, like you're just sitting out at Geodis Park watching a soccer game. So those are the things that are passions to me, uh, is telling the story of games and just working with people I, I like working with. I mean, that, that's the thing that as we'll get into the morning show, like working with Ramon Foster and, and Jonathan Schaefer and, and Kayla as well. Who I know you guys have, have had on the show before, like, that's just fun. Like I, I don't even view that as work. That's just hanging out with my friends and doing so four hours a morning uh, on the zone. But, you know, for me, the, the the soccer and baseball stuff is is the most fun that I get to have. And, and working with the Tennessee Smokies in college was where I kind of found that passion of, yeah, I love doing baseball. Don't know if I love it for 140 games out of a year, but I, I love doing, you know, that. I just didn't love the the grind of minor league quite as much. But um, th that and, and track two, which is is certainly a passion and certainly something in a, in a sport that I've loved. Um, and that, that was kind of the first thing, you know, you, Steve, you ask about the first kind of aha moment doing the pen relays last year for ESPN and, and getting to do the American track league on, on ESPN. I've, I've got some wild stories about some of those meets and the travel and the everything, like some of these smaller sports. I don't think people realize like the steps it takes to get to an ESPN level for, for track and field, because I'm getting hired by meet directors of events to work as a freelance broadcaster on basically a deal that's been reached with ESPN. So like ESPN never touches that decision and never tells them, Hey, you need to hire this guy. It's like, no, the meat director of the pen relays says, Hey, we got your stuff from this agent who runs this league, who does other stuff with ESPN and, and you are the guy. So it, uh, all that to say, it's a very roundabout way to say that it, people on sports talk radio don't get to talk about the things they actually want to talk about, like their <laughs> passions. I know you know that. Yeah. Um, and, and you guys certainly know that, but soccer, baseball, and track, like if I could host what I wanted to talk about on our show, we'd be doing like, I did marathon updates as a joke from the Boston marathon on our show, <laughs> uh, Monday show. Like it's it, to me, that's, that's the stuff I really love the most.
Yeah, ratings through the roof for uh for you know <laughs> Smokies baseball, Nashville SC soccer, and no and, uh, track. No, I will say though quickly on 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 the experience of being an athlete at at, at least a, an SEC level. It like how do you bat like it's important to bring that perspective into the broadcast without sort of hitting people over the head with, oh, I did this, I did that. Like how how do you because obviously you know sitting in the blocks on a a, a long you know relay or a hundred meter or whatever is not the same as you know a set piece. Um, you know, in the 88th minute or even, you know, at the plate in the bottom of the ninth, like they're all very different sort of skill sets, obviously. But how can you take your experience as an athlete in those big moments from a pressure standpoint, translate it into the broadcast without making it all about like, oh, well, I did this and I've always know I know exactly what this guy is doing. And like, it, you see what I'm saying? Like, how, how do you go about doing that? Yeah, honestly, the the mental mode that I have to shift into at the beginning of a play by play broadcast is similar to the mode I would get into on the start line. Um, so for me, that's more about my own muscle memory as a person and as someone that, look, I know what it takes for me to get into my peak level of performance, which if I'm doing that the right way, the audience will know, okay, this is, this is will at the highest level as a play-by-play broadcaster. The audience will certainly know when I'm not at that level or can't get into that zone. Similar to the way my coaches knew if I was not in that zone, uh, when I was on the start line, but you know, to me, the experience of being an athlete. Uh, on on our show, Ramon, Kalen, Will r- pertains more to what was it like within the facility, within the locker room? You know, how do we relate to football players who are there and, and the basketball guys and just the inner workings of a high-level SEC athletic department? That's more relevant to our audience than, yeah, I remember when I ran my, you know, first 80-mile week when I was in high school and, you know, when I did this workout, right. like nobody cares about that other than slow summer stuff that we're just filling about our own, you know, stories or, or horror stories. Cause I had plenty of those uh, in college cause I was bad as a college athlete, but it's actually funny that my, my co-hosts and my coworkers at the zone honestly told me to maybe lean on that a little bit more. Um, you know, my feeling on that at the beginning was I kind of viewed my job on our show as almost more of a moderator than a host because we have, you know, two other hosts, Kayla Anderson's a veteran in this business who has, just a wealth of knowledge of what it's like to cover all the teams that we have. And then many other cultures in Columbus, you know, in Seattle, all these other places she's been. And of course, Ramon's playing background speaks for itself that I almost saw myself as Molly from first take, right? Like it's asking the right questions and asking thought provoking questions that I may or may not agree with myself, but raising the point then for them to debate. And then they were the ones that kind of came to me and said, you know, like your experience as a UT athlete matters because I'm the most recent UT athlete in the building. And, you know, while I feel like nobody cares about what I was as a very small non-revenue athlete in a sport that doesn't move the needle at all, even in, in dead sports talk radio times, I've had to kind of teach myself to use the pertinent parts of that experience as someone who was just in a UT facility and dealt with the athletic director and was there for the Lady Vols brand change and saw my own you know, teammates react to that and and some people that loved it and hated it and things like that. I've had to kind of learn the way to shift that into a way on our show that that makes sense for our audience. What was your what was your event? So I was 5K, 10K, unfortunately. Um, I, <laughs> the longer, the better for me, even though mentally the worse uh, it would be the best way to describe that of the longer, the worse it was for me. But um, I never got to run a track race in college because I was only there for two years on the team. And um, essentially had like a, a come to Jesus meeting with our coaches after my like fourth Achilles injury, where they were just like, look, take a semester off, 
from the team. And then if you want to come back next fall, you know, you can. And that was pretty common in our sport. Like people did that occasionally. And sometimes they'd come back pretty good. And I, I was like, okay, I'm going to train. I'm going to try to go, you know, win the Boulevard Bolt, the five mile Thanksgiving race here in Nashville. And then like day one of having to run by myself was like, nah, I don't really love this sport enough to keep doing this. So <laughs> the easy answer is 5k, 10k. The longer answer is I never actually was healthy enough to run track. So I just did cross country uh, competitively in college. Well, and, and that program's real. I mean, th that's not a, that's not a, Oh, you know, kind of tack on sort of program, you know, running at, at, at UT at all levels has a, has a history of great athletes has, I mean, certainly everybody knows the sprints, uh, had, you know, has produced Olympians, but I mean, top to bottom, that program, that program's the real thing. Yeah. I think we have 26 SEC championships in track and before Arkansas joined the SEC, the SEC championship was, was Tennessee. I mean, it was, it was us every year and uh, I love our new coach and, and Dwayne Ross. So they brought over from, from, from North Carolina A&T. I think they'll get closer to that, but, um, no, I mean, you're right. It, I was there with Christian Coleman, uh, on that team. And Christian was the, uh, the world champion and the last man to ever beat Usain Bolt and Usain Bolt's last ever race. He got beat by Christian Coleman and Justin Gatlin. And he's, he was the fastest man in the world, collegiate record holder at hundred meters. So that was very much, uh, that was a dream that I had from freshman year when I realized I didn't suck at running. Um, and where I went at Brentwood Academy, you have to either run cross country or play football when you start sixth grade. So, I mean, I, like a big gust of wind still knocks me over. Like I was not playing football against the <laughs> likes of Derek Barnett and, and Jalen Ramsey, who like shoved my friends into trash cans for parking and senior parking when we were students there, literally. <laughs> um, but uh, they, uh, so it, it was an easy choice for me, for sure. And, you know, I, I loved my coaches at BA. They're still, you know, mentors to me and in, in I got a text from one of them during the show today, literally that we still keep in touch. So, um, yeah, no, UT is it got quite the tradition. I was I was lucky to be a part of it. And I think with their new coaching staff now, not sure I would have made the team to be quite I, honest. I, with you. I, so I was there when Gatlin was there, and I remember driving through like right past Fraternity Park and like the track practice a thing, I think it was right there across the way. And I just remember like seeing these crowds at practices on like Tuesdays and thinking, like, what the hell's going on? And then you start to learn about the program as a regular old college kid, and you're going wow, this is incredible. And of course, he it wasn't there long thereafter that he was already on the the international stage pretty quickly thereafter. Um, so they, they make the transition. So let's, let's get to the the, the, the radio show because you asked, you already yeah. mentioned, you already mentioned two things that I think that it's worth reiterating. I think the those of the people that listen to this show regularly kind of have understood this now and, and certainly media people do, but you've mentioned two things. Presenting a question uh, to sort of create a discussion that is interesting and thoughtful, but maybe you don't even agree with it. Uh, which again is sort of setting up the content versus your own personal beliefs and opinions. And then topics, picking topics is not about what you care about as the radio host. It is about what the audience cares about. So when I, I want you to work through that and just kind of explain to people, um, again, every time we have a radio guy, radio girl on here, we're doing this kind of question because I want to make sure people get it through their heads that it is not because a lot of people complain, like, why aren't we talking Vandy baseball? Why don't you talk Vandy basketball? Why don't you talk Nashville SC? Why don't you talk Preds? You guys could talk Preds if you wanted to, but it's not about what you guys want to talk about. 100%. And uh, the NFL moves the needle, um, I think, even more than the Nashville audience sometimes still believes. Uh, that being said, I, I think there is an opportunity with Tennessee's resurgence in college football for Nashville to be a bigger Birmingham 
it may be closer to an Atlanta in some ways, minus the Hawk stuff and, and the Brave stuff, obviously. And I don't know how much that even really moves the needle down there either. But I think it it starts for me of I have the unique position of being kind of old Nashville and new Nashville at the same time. Um, you know, I'm I'm from here. I was born here in 1997. I've I've only ever lived here my entire life, and then in Knoxville for one year as a kid, and we moved straight back. Um, but at the same time, I know what my friends who aren't from here, who I've become friends with, who are from Birmingham and Tampa and Atlanta and all these other places, I know what they want to talk about too, even if they aren't Titans fans or just NFL fans and what they have interest in beyond the Vols and, and the Titans. So I think for us, the conversation starts with how do we use Ramon and Kayla's perspective on what they've done in their careers to the best of their abilities? I think for our show, that works because they represent such a large part of our audience, Kayla being in the Titans locker room as long as she has been, Ramon being in NFL locker rooms and and playing in the last great era of Tennessee football, albeit a short one, uh, for a couple of years there in, you know, in 08, um, and really not 08, 07, obviously, but he got done in 08, um, you know, and, and just leaning on that. So th- that's where when I plan out a show, that's where my my brain kind of starts is, you know, what do I know about our demographic that tells me this is what Nashville cares about, you know? Memphis Grizzlies are are fun right now. Nashville doesn't care about the Memphis Grizzlies. Not at all. I think Nashville would almost rather me turn heel and be a Lakers fan because anything Nashville and native Nashville just wants to push Memphis to the side. Like that's a conversation I have to have in our building all the time is like, Buck guys, like, no, I'm not trying to throw Buck under the bus, but I will uh, a little go, bit. No, like, you, you can. This is like, the place to throw Buck under the bus, yeah, actually. Perfect. Like more of Nashville is going to relate with hating Memphis than they are getting behind a team that's super entertaining and fun and exciting. Like, no, we don't care about that. Like it's Memphis. Like we're good. And I, yeah. I hate that you're right about this. Like I, hate, <laughs> no, I, I hate it's it. It's true. Because I would love to get behind like a young, exciting. Their best days are ahead of them. Window is open. Team, but like as much as I want to, that's not Nashville. Like that's right. not what I feel like. Like our season ticket holders of of Titans games are going to relate with. And, and I go back to we had this one topic right when I joined the show. And it was when the Titans dropped their three, six mafia who run it thing. And I had to take the day that dropped. I said, guys, I like this song. I'll listen to it at the gym. I can get behind it. Three, six mafia is great. 20% of Titan season ticket holders know who three, six mafia is. And Ramon was like, are you kidding me? Like that might be high. That might be high. <laughs> maybe I, literally like literally I was like, I'm being conservative. I'm saying yeah, yeah. at the most 20%. And it it became this whole thing and our callers hated me for it. And everyone on Twitter hated me for it, which Twitter is like what 2% of the yeah. si- Titan season ticket. Holders Twitter's not real life. No. Right. So yeah. that's where my brain goes is what do the Titan season ticket holders care about a and B how do I use my players on my team to the best of their abilities? Lamestream Sports is a podcast about Nashville sports media and business, and it is brought to you by Jaspers. Always brought to you by the fine folks at Jaspers. Because it is the next evolution of the sports bar, and we are the next evolution of your Nashville sports media and business podcast. Uh, We're going to start telling you sort of what's on the menu sports-wise coming up uh, each weekend. And I just have some advice for some folks in Nashville this weekend. Number one, if you live here and are not a masochist, i.e. not running in the marathon stay away from downtown but you can get to jaspers by coming in through through the back door on west end and 440 which of course we love 440 big fans so you can go to jaspers but if you are a masochist and you happen to be running in the marathon which is canceling all of my children's 
uh, sports events at Shelby Park this weekend. Their soccer and baseball games are now on Friday nights and Sunday afternoons. Thank you so much, Marathon. I know it raises a bunch of money. It's a cool event. I like it. But you can go about a mile into the race. And if you want to quit after a mile of your 26.2 and you just are feeling like, you know what? My heart's not in it. There's a turn right over, right as, right as you come up to Mumbrian and you go across the inside, the inner loop there. There's a turn right there that's a couple blocks from Jasper's. And you could just, in theory, walk off the track and go I, get yourself a smash burger and some beers, watch some Stanley Cup playoffs, some NBA playoffs, watch all kinds of sporting events. I'm sure you got some soccer in there if you want as well. And you could just forget all about the last. 24 and a half miles that you are supposed to go run by choice. I would rather spend my, I would rather spend the last 24 miles of that race eating brunch than I would, uh, <laughs> than, I, than I would, than I would actually Good. on the course. The Nashville course, if, if you're not familiar, <laughs> if you're thinking about running a marathon, <laughs> don't start with this one. Don't start with the home course. Go it to is, Miami. Go to Miami. Go to Miami. It, it is the most diabolical course among like marathon courses out there. there there's so much elevation uh, in it. You get to, uh, there, there's a section where you're coming off of Shelby Bottoms. It, you're at about the 23 mile mark. And I, my niece ran this, my niece ran this a couple of years ago. So a bunch of family members thought, okay, we're, we're going to go out and we're going to support her. Where does she need the support? Okay. Last home stretch. So we, it's over there kind of like kind of where Casey homes are. Uh, and it is a slow rise Hill for like about a mile or about, a, about like a half mile. And the weather was, I mean, the weather was starting to get a little warm. I think it's going to be a little warm this weekend. Mm -hmm. And you could see people just dying on the Hill, just dying. I'm like, I, I saw more people stop running and just walk up that Hill because it comes at such a such an inopportune time, you, you're thinking, "Oh my God, the stadium's around the corner. I'm going to be able to get there." And then this hill hits, mm -hmm. and it just sucks the life out of you. And it's it is one of the meanest things that people have complained about it for years. I don't know why they haven't. I know they want to end at the stadium, and so that's why kind of it's routed this way. But it is so fucking mean. Not it's a hill I am willing to die on, Steve. Just no, just, just not one. Um, again, right about a right about a mile in, you could. It's the closest point to Jasper's. We've looked at the map, we've tracked it out, we've measured it. Right about a mile in, just walk off. Just just, just be done. Off. Just be done. Go to Jasper's. No um, shame. Uh, lots of other good uh, good sports on your menu this weekend. Of course, you got uh, the Grizzlies tied it up at one and one one game apiece. So that game's going out to Los Angeles. So you got them. You got lots of good Stanley Cup playoff stuff. Um, you got Nashville SC, of course, at home on Saturday night. So you got all kinds of good stuff. Um, go to Jasper's if you want to go watch all that stuff. So good, good, a decent sports menu, man. This is one of my favorite times. You got baseball, you got playoffs in hockey, playoffs in basketball, um, good golf tournaments every other weekend here. You got a couple of majors coming up after the Masters. You got the marathon this weekend if you're into, you know, self mutilation. Um, there, it's <laughs> listen, I've done 5Ks, I've done a 10K. Do you think you could do a marathon in, and with no time limit whatsoever? Like you just, you can just do it. I could, people, so I could just so my, walk the marathon in theory. So my wife has done the Ragnar thing, which is where you go down to like Mont Eagle and on like an eight person team, you run from Mont Eagle back to Nashville as like, as like a team. And so you're doing like three, four mile increments. And then you like 
get in a van and you sleep in the van and then you drive up and then they pick up and they just kind of switch off, you know, like every four or five miles and you're running like all the way from like Chattanooga to Nashville, basically. No, I think you could do the marathon in one day. I think the, the, the cops and the course would be closed, but I think you and I could do it in a day if given 24 hours. I think we could do it. So assuming you could walk two and a half miles an hour, it would take you. Could you do fifteen? Could you do twenty six fifteen minute miles? Oh God, no! That's four Wait. minutes a mile. I mean, that's I mean, that's uh, that's that's four miles an hour. Yeah. No, twenty I, minute I, twenty. So a twenty minute pace, twenty minute mile. I think I could do that. I think I could do twenty six miles at twenty minute mile. I think I could do that. That's almost walking. That's like speed I, walking. I, I would be some version of walking. No, <laughs> I mean this. I, I would take the twenty four hour bet. I think you could do it. I think I could I, do it too. I might, I might, I, I could probably, I might even make like a, like a, like a 13 hour bet. I think we could do it. By the way, those who win the marathon do it in like less than three, just to point that out, which is that shit crazy. Uh, you know, it's not crazy. Go to Jasper's, everybody. That's basically what we're getting at. Go to Jasper's. Go to Jasper's. Want to jump ahead to the, to the, uh, deal that has you calling Nashville SC games this year. Uh, Apple takes, it uh, takes control of the, the league wide broadcast and, and, and the league had been con- kind of consolidating these deals for a while to be able to package this all in one year. And so they have this, they have this setup of national broadcasters and, and we've talked with, with, with Tony and Jamie uh, several times here, kind of in that process. Uh, but, but the, the, those guys are gone now and, you, you and Lucas are the de facto voices of Nashville SC now on the radio call, but but that is because of because of the technology, I can now listen to you on on my TV call. Uh, how did you sort of approach that? Because a radio call is different than a TV call, and it, do you know? Uh, do you have any sort of feedback yet from like how many people are taking advantage of this? Yeah, we, I've heard from a lot more people than I expected even of saying like, hey, we're watching you with, you know, we're, we're listening to your audio, watching the game. Um, you know, I think the important next step for the for the league, too, is to make sure road games are a part of that, too, because if you're at the game, obviously having the home voice for a home game doesn't matter as much if you're there. You're, you're not going to be, you know, piping in one headphone to watch a broadcast on a 45 second delay when you're there. Um you know, it, it's interesting. It hasn't really affected our workflow a ton. I, I think the biggest challenge for us has been making sure we have a monitor that has, you know, the replay on it to where if we know there's a replay being shown in the TV broadcast, like the the mental gymnastics of how much time do we devote to, yeah, if you're watching online, here's what, as you can see on replay, because it's important to talk over, obviously, the the fine details of was this a penalty? You know, why is this a yellow card, not a red things of that nature of if there was a foul in a certain moment and the viewer is seeing it again, but we're not providing any context to what that viewer is now seeing for a second time. And to, um, and to, and to your point, I mean, the rhythms get changed. Right. And, and, and the, you know, if you were just doing this as a radio call and, and, and I think, I think you framed that really well, that this is a conversation that you're having throughout this, uh, it, it, it gets it gets completely changed by that by that added you know bit of gymnastics here that you have to do. 
Absolutely. And I think hockey and soccer both are the two sports where the radio call isn't that different from what the TV call has to be. Like you hear really good hockey broadcasters. If you were closing your eyes and just listening to the audio, I wouldn't be able to tell which was TV and which was radio because it moves so quickly and there's so much going on, right? That you have to kind of narrate every single pass and every shot and every movement. Soccer is kind of the same, but for the opposite reason, like there's, there's so much space to fill that it's interesting when you listen to European radio guys doing soccer, it is literally just a soccer radio show. And then when the ball is in the 18 yard box, they start picking up the action. Like it is legitimately nothing about the game at an <laughs> unbelievable level, like more so than I'm willing to do. Right. <laughs> uh, when I listen to some of these BBC guys, it's like, I would, I'd probably like, yeah, they're, they're like 20 yards from the box. Like I'd probably pick it up there. Um, so, so for that reason, there's not a lot of change that has to happen with soccer because we're still going to have a conversation when it's, you know, between the the halfway circle and teams are just exchanging possession back and forth um, and not really having a long, you know, run of play, so to speak. Uh, and then we're going to pick it up in the box. So for that reason, it feels like we haven't had to make many changes because I, I'd honestly call TV soccer very similarly to the way I do radio. Let me combine the last two questions here because, uh, you know, you guys have to sit down and plot, plot out four hours of content, prioritizing your audience's passions and cares first. But we also know that 104.5 clearly believes in soccer's growth. They've invested in soccer's growth. We and everyone in the market is is sort of uh, agrees with that in general. Now, not necessarily on a TV or radio rating standpoint yet, but from a in attendance standpoint, paying attention to the league, paying attention to the players. Um, social media, incredible engagement for Nashville SC. So how do you go about making sure that it's not forgotten in a four-hour show? Because you do have a, an authoritative position now on this. 104.5 is invested in it. So take people through. how you, You're not going to break down the, the strategic differences between like a 4-4-2 and a 4-3-2-1. But like, right. how do you as a as a radio show try to inject soccer creatively into the regular conversation where you know everyone actually would rather talk about like, you know, Tennessee's quarterback battle in the spring practice or whatever. You're right. Like Gaston Moore's play in the orange and white game is of more importance from a radio ratings perspective. God, than, shoot me in the head now, please. Than <laughs> most valuable player, Hani Mukhtar. No, I get it. I mean, I think for us, it's about advancing the conversation when we do have it and choosing not to do the standard, do you care question. I, there's nothing more I hate in radio than do you care about dot, 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 like insert topic here. Like, no, it's my job to tell you why you should or shouldn't care. And then if you want to call in and tell me I'm wrong, you have that right to do so. 615-737-1045. Other than that, like, I'm not going to ask you, I'm not going to crowdsource what's important to be put on the show or not be put on the show. It's, it's lazy to me and we're not going to do it with soccer because a, I feel like at that point you're alienizing or alienating, alienizing. That's the morning show brain at 10, 1047, the first morning show brain <laughs> word of the day. Um, it, you're alienating your diehards because then you're just checking the box of talking about it without actually talking about it while still alienating, alienizing the, the people that don't want to talk about it. Cause they're like, Oh, well, I don't want to hear soccer talk. Even if it's just, do you care? So at that point you've served nobody by asking the question, do you care about the soccer game this weekend? Like your diehards don't care and your casuals don't care. So at that point, it's for me, I think every week picking one thing that is pertinent and snackable from the game. It's, hey, Nashville is playing a rival this weekend at NYCFC who has never beaten them. And a couple of players got their first ever red cards the last time they played. And then Ramon chimes in with uh, 500 questions 
following up from that because I realized quickly that as a former football player, he does not consume any other sports other than professional football. He didn't know the Florida Panthers were a professional sports team until our Monday show. Like that's a real conversation that happened because we were having a debate of who are the most forgettable franchises in sports. And I said, Kansas city Royals, Sacramento Kings and Florida Panthers. He was like, Florida Panthers. And we went from there. So you should have told him him as an XFL team. I think he actually did start with that. I said, no, that's the Michigan Panthers Ramon. He said, Oh, okay, perfect. Um, Steph Curry, Fisher, Steph Curry knows all about the Kings. So. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And because uh, I said lighting the beam is the best thing going on at sports right now, just bar none of them just pushing a button and a, a light showing up. So, um, <laughs> you know, all that being said, I think, you know, one thing I learned doing minor league baseball and, and Mick Gillespie, the longtime voice of the Smokies, is one of my mentors in this business. And just as a rule, it's instead of he would tell me, instead of giving me five stats about a player or a team, give me one and tell me why it matters. And so that's just kind of what I take with soccer is I'm going to give you one fact, one thing that matters about, hey, NSC backstage is coming up tonight at eight. We've got the GM. We've got this player and half the team is from New York and they're playing New York next week. Things like that. I feel like you just make it as simple as possible. And maybe in five years, we're having more, you know, direct and and complicated conversations. Probably not, you know, can you play Hani Mukhtar as a false nine and, you know, change your double pivot to include a a, a converted 10 to an eight in Randall Ayal. Like, we're not going to do that ever. But, you know, I, I do think Atlanta is the proof that you can bring soccer to mainstream and it does work. Those things just take a little bit of time. And so for the diehard that's going to yell at their, you know, their speakers right now and say, well, then just do it now. You got to work with us a little bit because yeah. we've got to grow yeah. this audience kind of from the ground up. Steve just took his pants off, by the way, listening to you do, to you do that just so that Easy. you know. Um, Easy. Uh, no, but I, I am curious, though. Do you think we're beyond the like, do you like the black uniforms or not thing? Like, I think we are like because in the like you're always going to have to have sort of the big philosophical community questions, you know, sure. the, mo- the, the you know, the six minutes of silence like that's a topic you can talk about. But when it comes to the team itself, it starts with like some of the silly stuff. And then again, Pete Weber and and those guys for the Preds had to do this for the first five or six years of the Preds where, you know, they're doing a little bit more teaching about the game. You guys don't have to do that, but it's like, do we like tempo the mascot? Do we like the black uniforms? (laughs) Like, like, isn't there more, are we beyond that stage? Are, Are we past that stage to where people are smarter than that now? I don't think we're totally beyond it, but to play devil's advocate, like, I don't know if Tennessee football is totally beyond it. Like when Tennessee launched their black jerseys, like you better believe we did a segment of like, Hey, Tennessee has a new black helmet. Like, and then people like my dad will call in and just shred them for it. This is get off my lawn. Uniforms are touch a third rail with sports fans, man. I don't know what it is. It honestly, it like, I mean, we, we filled an entire segment, like, of when the Titans had their bye week in the playoffs before the Bengals game, like we filled entire shows on the zone that week of what, sh- what song should they play when Derrick Henry runs out of the tunnel? Like, I-, I don't think any sport is ever totally beyond that. That's true. Uh, and I think uniforms, maybe this is just me as a 25 year old radio host. Cause I love uniforms and people like me just love uniforms in general. So I- I'm always going to, you know, throw that in a 45 segment at the end of an hour. Um, but I do think the next step for Nashville SC and those discussions are what are they doing to attract younger people that the Titans and Preds aren't? Because, you know, you guys have been to those games. You guys have seen the crowds at Nashville SC games. It is so much different than what you get at a Titans game. Like it, that it is night and day. The people, the just vibe in that stadium. It's like you're in a different city. 
Uh, I have so many friends who are in their mid twenties who are season ticket holders for Nashville SC because it's so easy to do. It's people our age. The sport is done in an hour and 45 minutes. It's never going to go four and a half hours like a Tennessee football game. Like you can plan out your night. You know how long you have. That's it. You're done after about an hour and 45, maybe hour and 50 minutes with new stoppage time rules. Like as simple as that is, I think where we advance the next part of the conversation is this is now an event to cover in Nashville, similar to the NFL draft was an event to cover and similar to reaction of SEC media days coming to Nashville is an event. So it goes beyond the spectacle of, are you interested in this event to know this is an event? How does that then change or impact the culture of other sporting events within Nashville? How do we grow as a sports town? Because this event has brought a different interest level to a different demographic that maybe wasn't as much part of the sports market here until soccer came to town. Will, we appreciate you giving us as much time as you have. I, I, I do have to ask, you have a, for those who can't see, there is an Arsenal scarf hanging uh, in, in the background here. Uh, you're, are your boys going to hold on and win the title, or are they going to grip it pretty hard the rest of the way down like they did last weekend? So before the season started, I predicted we would get second behind City. Um, I know I'm, I'm probably breaking a cardinal rule of saying we about a team that's in London that I've never even been Sorry. to see in London, but... It's fine. Um, I've loved them since 06 when Wes came back from the World Cup and was like, hey, I just toured this new stadium called the Emirates. Like, we should be Arsenal fans. They're like the Tennessee of the Premier League. And I was like, great. Tennessee's really good. Uh, that won't shoot me. That won't hurt me at all. And, and sure enough, uh, he had, I had no idea just how much of a masochist I was for liking another Tennessee team. Uh, the Braves are the same way, too. They just have a... a championship now so that one doesn't hold up quite as much yeah, but all that to all, say, you guys should all join me on the Mets bandwagon that'd be, that'd be more appropriate <laughs> don't do that you you Which, me and R.A. Dickey that is one of my favorite by the way sports talk radio topics is comparing SEC teams to just teams from other oh. other sports like the like UT's the Braves like the Mets I don't know what the Mets would be anyway um but the, vol, uh, the Vols yeah, well <laughs> in a lot of ways yes you, there's a UT in everything any any fan base's misery represents Tennessee um I, I even when Arsenal was up by like 11 points like two months ago, I still thought they'd finish second. Like I, I legitimately until I see this team get through like a really difficult moment and win a title, I'm never going to pick them to do it. Similar to when we do our game by game predictions for Tennessee football this year, I'm going to pick Tennessee to lose in the swamp because I made a pact with myself after seeing a second Hail Mary in as many years that I will never, ever in my life pick Tennessee to win in the swamp until I see them do it. I will not pick Arsenal to win the Premier League until I see them do it. Um, well, let's get back to the stuff that people care about. The Miami Marlins are clearly the LSU <laughs> Tigers because they win a championship oh, and then the entire thing gets torn down by you know weird off-the-field <laughs> issues. And then they get built back up again and they win a championship with a new coach and then it gets torn back down again. So there you go. Marlins and LSU Tigers, they are the same. Marlins also a team that had a smaller game-by-game uh, -game baseball attendance number than uh, or LSU had a bigger attendance number at their baseball games yes. than the Marlins two years ago. <laughs> yes. So since they have the same amount of fans at games, that is a real stat that I love to bring out every now and then. Uh, let, I think let, that one actually does hold up. Let me wrap this up uh, because I know, again, very gracious with your time. So we will let you go here. And you've been talking for basically like six hours today uh, already. So um, I just I want to ask about where the Preds fit into all of this real fast, because I know Kayla is a huge hockey fan and she she covers that team very well and loves the sport, just like you love baseball and soccer and try to bring that in. She brings the hockey element in also a ton of experience in college football as well. Ramon's got his interest, but 
we've already talked about soccer and kind of talked about the NFL and about college. Where do the Preds fit in, in into the hierarchy in y'all's in y'all's sort of mental thinking of preparation? Well, in a normal year, if they were beginning a playoff run right now, it, it would be a daily topic of conversation for us, probably starting this week. Um, honestly, for us, I, I think for for our show and for the experience that Ramon has, just not quite being in the NHL world or, or other pro sports worlds other than than his own. Um, we have to some have we have to have someone else come on to advance that conversation. And we we love Alex Doherty, our, our friend from A to Z, and different guys that that Kayla knows within the business and within just the sport of hockey to help us advance that conversation and and make us all smarter, myself included. I honestly went to more Preds games growing up than I did Titans games. I mean, that was one where like my dad worked at a bank that had a sponsorship there when I was growing up, and it was like a a every other night, every other game kind of thing of like, hey, we're gonna go to the Preds game and. And so I, I have a ton of of love for that team. And in a lot of ways for people 25, like Preds games became more fun and and cool to go to before Titans games were. And, you know, you can make the argument and for a lot of circles, they still kind of are. And the Titans are are third in that category when it comes to people that are in their their mid 20s. But, you know, I, I think for them, it's when they're not as good, it's harder to get behind it. It's harder to have the nuanced conversations of why they aren't good and you know, why is, you know, this team not meeting expectations? Why is this team maybe meeting expectations? But we need to change the expectations a little bit. So I think for them, I try to lean on just my own experience of cheering for that team and, and remembering when they almost moved to Hamilton and, you know, having the different experiences just as a longtime Preds fan. And, and Kayla and I honestly took different perspectives when Barry Trotz was hired. And I was like, look, I got to see the guy do it. Like, I may have seen him coach, you know, but like... Right. She, I think she leaned more towards the positive of, yeah, give him the benefit of the doubt. And and I, as a long-suffering Tennessee fan, never give anyone the benefit <laughs> of the doubt now until they win me over. So it's like, I want to see you actually be a GM before I can get behind you. So uh, when we had the David Poyle trots conversation, it was more about this being a major shift in the Nashville sports landscape, because this is now the second general manager in the team's history, right? This is a big change for the city of of Nashville as a sports market. That was kind of where the conversation began for us uh, when it comes to them. Uh, so I just want to make th- make sure that we're perfectly clear about this. Why are you not talking more Preds? Blame Ramon. Sure. Ooh. Yeah. Blame the guy who didn't know the <laughs> Florida Panthers existed until Monday, <laughs> April the 17th. Like it legitimately, I, I, I had the idea afterwards of like, can we do like the Florida Panthers Memorial niche sports minute? Where I just go on, like I'll do F1, I'll do MLS, I'll do baseball. You can time me in 60 seconds and then we'll make a fake sponsorship by the Florida Panthers. Like, didn't SVP do like a Chicago sports minute or something where they just like yeah. red headlines and terrible Chicago accents? Like that's that's a hundred percent the the niche that we're trying to to create here. Yeah. It's, it, well, it's not like they played in the same exact division as the Predators just two years ago. Uh <laughs> right. Will, thank you, thank you so much, man. We really appreciate it, bud. Thank you guys, appreciate you having me on. That was Will Bowling, of course, of 104.5 The Zone, calling the uh, Nashville SC games with his uh, radio crew there and, of course, with Kayla and Ramon on the morning show. Um, I do not envy him at his age having to get up at 4.15 in the morning um, at, at when, when you are, you know, not married, no kids, fairly young, 25 years old. Like, that's the time you're supposed to be up late doing fun things. Uh, and he, of course, is going to bed early. So uh, I incredibly talented, works very, very hard. The show's fun. Uh, they do a great job with soccer. I think... 
104.5 was really did a great job of getting those rights, I think, because they've got a couple of people that really love uh, like Lucas and Will are extremely passionate about soccer uh, and they know their stuff. I've talked to Lucas about World Cup soccer and EPL soccer and that those guys know their stuff. Uh, They're very passionate about it. So uh, congratulations to Will on all of his success and getting the the, getting to call those Nashville SC games is pretty cool, especially if you overlay it on Apple TV. So uh, we do appreciate him. I, it, it's going to be fun to see what Will does here because he is, <laughs> he is so young and, uh, and, and very talented. I've, I've caught him a, a little bit on national C games so far. I, I'm, I'm interested to see kind of exactly what his path ends up being, whether it's, you know, whether it's in some kind of, you know, play by play role. Is it going to be kind of on radio Will radio still exist? Uh, <laughs> we'll get to that in a second. <laughs> we'll get to that in a second. But it's going to be it, it's going to be fun to watch. I mean, as as we are fans of the entire bowling family, uh, it is unsurprising. It is un, it is unsurprising that uh, that Will has turned out uh, as well as as he, he has. And and I, I, like I said, the, the, he's got a he's got a very very high ceiling. So I I totally agree. I know that a lot of you listening. Listen to a lot of West Bowling stuff, whether it's the Club and Country podcast, go check that out, uh, or his calls on Nashville SC, his work about work calling those games. I know probably a lot of you have listened to the artist formerly known as Midday 180, with Rowan Hutton now, of course, doing their thing at Outkick. I want to know, and I didn't ask him this on purpose because I didn't want to put him on the spot talking about his current employer and a former employee. Uh, but here's what I want to know from people out there listening, because I know a lot of you have listened to both of those people. I want to know who you think Will Bowling is more. Sounds more like Chad Withrow or Wes Bowling, his brother. I want to know. <laughs> I want to know what people think because I, I hear so much Withrow in his game because he learned underneath Withrow and Withrow was doing midday one eighty. I just want to know what you guys, the audience, think. Is he more Chad Withrow in his cadence and delivery, or is he more Wes Bowling, who again he used to call games within his living room when he was three years old? So I just want to know what people think. Okay, so getting to radio. I got to do a conversation, uh, some really good good media people that I appreciate, Joe Rexrode, Jim Chandler, Chris Martell on Twitter about Stillman. And uh, we've said this so many times, and part of the reason I got into this discussion on Twitter was because, you know, it's my version of running a marathon, right? <laughs> it's it's my, my love of it's Twitter. Long, and, it's long, it's painful, your, your body feels numb afterwards. It's self-inflicted is what it is. So... I, but I can't help myself when it comes to kind of defending Jared Stillman in this conversation. And the conversation is, and and there's a couple different things. I want to point out, because we just talked about this with Will, and it's why I wanted to bring it up on the show today. Because there's a couple of different things that I think people still are for failing to to understand about radio. And that is, as Will pointed out twice, it is not about what you, the host, want to talk about. It is about what the audience wants to hear. So that's number one that you need to understand. Because that Nashville SC fans want to hear more Nashville SC coverage on radio. It's not going to happen because the vast majority of Nashvilleians don't want to hear that yet. Yet is the key word. The idea is to grow into that some. But the Preds have been here for two and a half decades, and they don't draw ratings on radio either. So just keep that in mind. Number two, part of why I defended him in this conversation was this: these phrases like, he's terrible at his job, he is a hack, he's all these different things, he, he's a lightning rod for criticism. You may not like his show. His show not may not be your style, just like we all have our own style and taste on food and music and movies and, and whatever. So you may not love his style of show, but his style of show is how radio executives want radio executed. It is how the medium 
the content is decided by the medium and the medium is set up a topic, create conflict, make sure that the people listening in the car have to take a side, set up both sides, argue about both sides and get people engaged. It's what works on social media. It's what works on cable television. It is how the medium is supposed to be executed on a grand scale. Broadly, I think Rex Road and Robbie are better. I think that's a better show. It's more my taste, but that is that that's a different conversation. There's a taste conversation and there's a what makes the medium work best. 2021 was the first year in which podcast men 25 to 54 got their information from sports information from podcast more than sports talk radio. The ratings for 1045, no disrespect, well, love you. <laughs> the ratings for 1045 have are have basically been cut in half if not 2 thirds when I since when I started at 1025 in 2016 in the fall. And, and to be fair, everybody's ratings are down. Everybody like the the share of the overall pie of terrestrial yes, radio is yes. down, way down. Yes. And so some of it is 1045 coming off that high of what they had. Uh, with the old uh, with the old morning show, but in general, those numbers are all way down, and so the, some of the closing of that gap is just people, uh, like you said, choosing other choosing other formats, namely podcasts, a, a, as their preferred way of ingesting sports content. Yes, and and just to be just so that people know, when when Jason Fitz and I started the morning show, we were in the ones and twos. The wake up zone, which was Kevin Ingram, uh, Mark Howard, and those guys in the morning, were like in the 16s. It, there was a, a massive gap, and that gap has basically shrunk to almost nothing at this point. Like, there's still some areas where one side wins over the other side, but like, largely, 104, I would say, probably wins three quarters of the months. Every now and then, Stillman probably beats 3HL. Every now and then, Robbie and Rex would probably beat the morning show. Uh, we don't have a lot of time with the new morning show that Will's on yet to kind of see how those ratings are going to do over time. It takes a while for a new show to sort of settle in. But like th the point is, is it, we're talking about sevens and fours now instead of 16s and ones. So the gap has shrunk significantly. A lot of that is due to the work that Jared Stillman has done and some other folks on that station, maybe for a couple of years. I don't know. <laughs> but but. The, key, the reason that has happened is because, and, and I got a lot of this on Twitter, Steve, a lot of people come back with the argument of, well, but if you gave them really thoughtful, long-form, nuanced conversations that were sort of wholesome and nutritional content, people would start listening more. And and I say, that's just simply not how the medium works, number one. And, and all of those listeners, I mean, uh, the, and that's what the podcast numbers show, is that- That is those, where that is happening, is in the podcast the, world. The Those listeners have chosen an alternate format. Bingo, and, and, and they're not <laughs> the argument about Stillman that saying that you want him to change. The medium is not going to allow him to change. The only thing that is going to happen is greater execution of that formula, because that's what is left kind of within right. the within the radio space. Right, and and it's again, I think there's a difference between saying I don't enjoy that style of show. Like Stillman's style of show, which again, if you look at the most successful people in sports talk radio or on television in sports nationally, it is he has Stillman has learned at the feet of the same person that taught me how to do it, that taught Colin Cowherd how to do it. We we had meetings with this guy who built Colin Cowherd into the person that he is. And it's no different with Stephen A or Skip Bayless or all these shows. It is about social media is no different. It it is about enragement. Whoever is 
like can create conflict and and that is what is sticky to a broad set of the audience because listening to radio is a passive activity you don't actively go out and choose you choose a podcast you take effort and time to find seek out search out get a podcast put the earbuds in your ears turn it on download the thing like you have to you are in control of that 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 is the audience in control radio it's you're in a car you pop it on it's on and if you like what they're talking about you stay and listen and if you don't you change the channel and his job is to keep you on the channel that is his job and so it, he has to do it in 9 minute increments and then he has to take a break and keep you through the next 9 minutes after the break Re- retro came back to me at this and and i appreciate joe having a, a conversation with me about this he basically said 90% of radio is not like that and i I would disagree because <laughs> you cannot have a 50 minute long form conversation on radio. You just can't do it. You can't do it. You know, I would also say that 90, even if you believe that 90% of radio is like that, I mean, 90% of, uh, 90% of radio is not listened to. I mean, <laughs> I mean, when, when that's the, true. I mean, the, the, the shows that we're talking about are, are basically the ones that they capture actual measurable significant audience i mean a lot of the shows that we're talking about here that that do something different are rounding errors in terms of ratings and that's and that's what fills and that's what fills a lot of sports radio a couple of a couple other two quick points here on this particular conversation um the rating system in nashville is also very flawed the number of meters that measure the number of people in the city does not match the population growth so that's a huge problem uh, as well, so the ratings aren't necessarily perfectly accurate. There's also major built-in advantages for 104.5 in terms of where their tower is actually located and who actually receives that signal because it's located much, much closer to downtown. So you get a better, crisper, clearer, stronger signal from them. So it's actually a huge credit to 102.5 that those numbers have closed. The gap has closed so significantly over the last six or seven years. And 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 again, there's lots of people that deserve credit for that. One of them is Jared Stillman. <laughs> now. I, I will say this, Jared, and I hope you're listening. I will say this. I don't think you do yourself any favors when you take shots at other people in the media. Uh, and I don't mean like in good fun. I'm not talking about that. I'm, I'm talking about there's a lot of non-traditional media in this market that doesn't like Stillman because he doesn't view them as traditional mainstream media. And I think some of that is baked into the criticism of his show. And that's not necessarily fair, but he also brings it on himself. So I, I think there's... a. Uh, uh, Stillman is a very good dude. I like him. I think he is extraordinary at his job. He works extremely hard. And the fact that you all know who he is and and have a very strong opinion of him means he's doing his job very well. If you had no opinion of him, that means he has not done his job. So again, it may not be your style, but he executes radio the way executives want it executed to perfection. And he does it probably better than anyone else on any channel in the market. Never forget, the opposite of love is not hate. It is indifference. We are in an attention society where we are all our own reality TV star. We are the lead in our show. And Jared Stillman (laughs) is the lead in his show. And whether you like it or not, you're paying attention. (laughs) Go to Jaspers, everybody. Uh, all right, what do you got? Uh, what do you got this week? Recommendation? No, that's it. I got. No, that's, I've, I've used up all. That's it. I've, I've talked too much. I've talked too uh, much. I have. I have a. I have a spectacular recommendation. My recommendation is Stillman and Company on one hundred two five. Oh God, <laughs> don't do that. I, I like the the 
vertical over at New York Magazine called uh, called Vulture. Does a lot of culture coverage. They inevitably come up with, and I've recommended stuff from them before. There's been a thing that has run through TV writers' rooms for years, and it's the story called basically the the story is distilled down to two words: Who Jackie? <laughs> and it has to do with with a comedy writers' room on the set of Roseanne. Oh my god! Uh, and the this piece, uh, the the title on this piece in in Vulture is. Unraveling the greatest writer's room story ever. Who Jackie has been retold for 28 years, much of it, uh, much to the surprise of the Roseanne writer who said it. And it's all about them finding out this apocryphal story. And this, and when I say the story has been kind of retold among, among comedians, it's, it's very much along the lines of the aristocrats in the sense that, Everybody who tells it has like their own different version of the story and what's real and what's not. Although <laughs> none of the aristocrats is real, but <laughs> but but the uh, but what you know who who the guy is and, and and what the circumstances of the the story were. Norm Macdonald uh, uh, talked about this on a podcast uh, about ten years ago because because Norm was a writer on Roseanne, and the the writer does a great job kind of digging down into who it could be figuring it out finding the person getting them to actually talk to him uh because the guys uh, the guys over the guys retired and it's like 75 years old and doesn't really want to talk about it uh, finally gets him to talk about it and then kind of resolves the story and then goes through like all of the versions of the story i, I don't want to i don't want to spoil too much of it uh, i will just say that it has to do with how unengaged the writer was with the show he was actually writing for <laughs> uh and who jackie is 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 the is the question he asks uh in the middle of a in, in the middle of a writing session jackie uh, for anybody who happened to be a roseanne fan was the sister of the main character <laughs> it is it is a spectacular story it's in uh it, it's in vulture right now uh, go check it out if you if you if you appreciate kind of a deep dive into into comedy writing or TV or anything like that. It's one of the best things uh, I've read in a long time. So, no, hu- no human being in my orbit, and I and I you know there's a lot of people in media people's orbits. It, no people in my orbit love supplementals to TV and movies more than you do. Uh, oh, I know. Uh, like the, the, our the... articles and podcasts about articles and podcasts is like your favorite thing in the world. And I, you're you you like it more than any human being I've ever met. You, one, you, and Bill, you and Bill Simmons. One one of my one of my one of my favorite things to watch uh, is a is a uh, is a movie about comedy. Uh, Seinfeld did a did a did a uh, a thing called Comedian. Uh, it's like fifteen or twenty years ago now, and in it, it the the whole thing is basically shot backstage at comedy clubs and it's just comedy writers talking about their biggest jokes and 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 how they how they made it and how they um how they engage with audiences and what bombs it's it's just it's just one of the best things you'll ever find all right i lied um and because i mentioned bill simmons um ringer productions bill simmons productions whatever it's called did the jason isbell documentary me, me and the wife watched it um it's worth it if you don't know a ton about him 
Uh, I think it's really interesting about their marriage, he and Amanda Shires. I think there's a lot of it because it's done right before the pandemic. They they record this record reunions right before the pandemic happens. I don't like that they put some pandemic stuff in there. So at the end, uh, <laughs> be prepared for some PTSD at the end of the documentary. But it's very, very good. It's incredibly well done. My daughter actually loved the first few minutes of it when they're like actually in the studio recording. And then there's an article on The Ringer to follow up this entire conversation there's an article on The Ringer about why sports writers are obsessed with Jason Isbell. <laughs> so, so go. It's all very much uh, contained uh, there in The Ringer. So That doc is shot by Sam Jones, uh, who's done a bunch of different stuff, including a spectacular Tony Hawk documentary, which came out last year. Um, but he did he did the Wilco documentary on trying to break your heart uh, from 20 years ago. He's pretty that, good. That That is awesome it documents wilco as they lose their record deal and then create and they're given the masters back to what becomes the career defining record that they then sell to another label also owned by uh, i think it was atlantic um so they got they got paid twice for the same album and nice. then they and they just like a went jeff, on. That, that sounds like a jeff tweedy thing to do um it's it's so good anyway, I, I, sam jones sam jones great director my favorite scene in the entire documentary is uh, Jason Isbell trying to convince his wife, also a very established musician with a master's in writing, creative writing, uh, to use a preposition that is incorrect, uh, to which eventually he finally just sings the lyric and and he goes, but I think it should be this. And she's like, well, do you want it to be right? <laughs> and this is in front of the entire band. And eventually he sings it and just goes, oh, yeah, you're right. Uh, and I'm like, I've never seen marriage and music all mixed together in one moment ever so before perfectly. in my entire life. It was, it was absolutely perfect. So go check it out. It's pretty good. If you love Jason Isbell and you're obsessed with him, you're probably not going to learn a ton, but it's fun. It's a nice watch. Uh, and uh, certainly you'll learn a lot about his backstory and his father and his, and his upbringing and everything if you didn't know that stuff. So it's good to watch. Go check it out. Other than that, go to Jasper's. Please, God bless you all if you're running in a marathon. Have a great weekend, everybody. Thanks to Will Bowling for joining us. For Steve Cavendish, I'm Braden Gall. This has been Lamestream Sports here on the 440 Sports Network.